Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is CM Alexander with the news. Oh, apologies, listeners. I didn't get much sleep last night. The Dairy Court overturned an old law taking away women's right to choose how much they sleep. Sleep durations will now be determined by husbands, fathers, or any man who believes he knows what women want, regardless of words or actions. The city has also stated they will provide no additional support for the changes that will affect the rest of women's lives moving forward. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, CM Alexander, alongside Joshua Kahn. Hey, everybody. And Benjamin Graham. Hey, hey, constant readers. And today we are back with another patron pick from Brock Salisbury, Insomnia, where we are covering through chapter six, and Josh is leading our discussion. Wait, sorry, what what book? Insomnia. <gasps> oh, Did shit. Did you read the wrong book oh, again? Oh, shit, guys. <laughs> I, re- I read Sleep Thinner. wow i am upset that i couldn't help but laugh (laughs) did did, is it just me real thinner vibes not at all really but i love that it it was it was the moment when it counts down he's getting less and less sleep it reminded me of the weight being less and less. I see that now, yeah. and I, I'm jealous it didn't remind me of that, too. I, I understand where you're coming from, but it was definitely not in my mind at all. Oh, fair enough. Uh, which is weird, because there are other books this reminds me of, not really in style, but just because they're here. Yeah. We get a Dark Tower connection almost immediately, mm-hmm. which is wild. And also, I didn't bother looking this up, but Gertrude's from Rose Matter, right? The name is starts with a G, but it's not Gretchen. that same character. Gretchen, Gretchen. Gretchen is. But I did uh, think about Gertrude from Rose Matter also. <laughs> the whole time I was reading this, I was like, oh, cool, they brought her back. Yeah, Gert's going to kick some guy's ass and pee on him. I wish. It does tie into Bag of Bones and It, of it, course, of course yeah. obviously. And a few other things. It's it's very in that I haven't time. read Bag of Bones. Me either. So, Insomnia, where where are we at? First time, uh, it's my first time. First time, long time. <laughs> That's going to be funnier in episode two. Just <laughs> is it? trust me. All right. This is my second time, I believe. And let's not spend a million years on this. But I do have to bring up, and we talked about this off mic, so I'm going to say it. Because I am I think it might, listeners might hear it and wonder why. I personally had a really hard time starting this book, even mm. though I read it before and loved it. Because we just finished The Shining. And that is a book for me that, as I've mentioned on like interviews and other episodes, I think, too, that there are some books where you are so in that world that you're not ready to go to another world for maybe a couple weeks after reading it. You just need to take a break and live in those moments Mm. and recover from the grief of stopping the book. And I needed that and I didn't get it. (laughs) So I'm still trying to figure out if if that is affecting my experience of this. And I don't know yet, but we'll find out. I I totally agree that this was a definite 
I don't want to say necessarily a downshift from The Shining. It's only episode one, and I remember really loving this book when I read it in high school. But the writing style in this is just not as prose heavy Mm -hmm. as The Shining. The Shining is a terrifying book that is beautifully written. Mm -hmm. And this is definitely gives me the more of a a feeling of his more, um, how do I describe it? Just plot driven more mm, than yeah. uh, than anything else. It reminds me a little of Mr. Mercedes, weirdly, in just the style of writing. For me, it has that talisman kind of feel, like talisman and maybe the dead zone. I was thinking dead zone. Yeah. Mm. Where there yeah, are times that's... where I'm like, is this, is the main story happening? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just stuff happening. Maybe I'm just thinking of Mr. Mercedes because our main character is old. Like, I think you are, because I thought of, his name's not Ralph, the Mr. Mercedes. Uh, the, oh, Bill Hodges. Bill, Bill Hodges. Hodges. I almost yeah. called him Ralph Hodges. See? I, I wanted to do the exact same thing. All people are the same, ageism. Oh, no. Oh, no. No, no, no. Is it Ralph and the Outsider? Oh, man. Maybe. Maybe. Is it, uh... Well, it's I'm been less, a long time. I'm less ageist now. <laughs> or you're also ageist. <laughs> that could be. Okay, anyway, continue. You know what? We're just going to dive in with the prologue because <laughs> usually- It's a big prologue. Yeah, usually, it's a thick log. <laughs> it, is, it is a big we prologue. Got a log, we got a lot of log to cut through. <laughs> usually a prologue is like nice and brief. And at a certain point, I was like, this is- two chapters. It's yeah, this a, is just book. You don't need to call this a prologue. It's not a con log, though. Because <laughs> it's pros and cons. Got it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good job. I thought I thought you were saying me con. Oh, and I was like, oh my I, God. <laughs> Continue. I don't even want to hear that. <laughs> uh, so we are introduced to Ralph Roberts, 70-year-old man who's trying to walk himself to death. Uh, not really. He's walking to drown out the sound of his wife dying, which is just way to start off with a real bummer. Her death clock, which is something I remembered has really stuck with me. Yeah. (laughs) Reading this as a kid when death is super, like when when you're coming out of that space where death is something that can never happen to you and you're kind of figuring out that's not necessarily true. This is about when I read that. Oh boy. It freaked me out. It struck me. Just the sorry, death clock struck. Never mind. It's strike a clock fire. (laughs) The clock strikes eleven. I guess. Sure. I know. It's yeah. (laughs) No, it's 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 there. You're two for two, CM. (laughs) Incompletely baffling me. Specifically. (laughs) No, uh, I it it struck me how devastating the loss of Mm -hmm. uh, Ralph's wife was. And it struck me specifically because it made, I've never thought, wow, Stephen King is kind of (laughs) romantic. He's not usually that style of author, but like he writes about the loss of his wife with such clear, like, love and the loss is you feel the devastation of the loss Mm -hmm. and i was like wow i stephen king that it made me think about him and tabitha and it made me get kind of teary-eyed is is this uh, sorry we've covered so many books and i've read so many others that we haven't covered yet is this the first spouse 
grief that we've had with that King as a writer because we had be. no, no, right? no, like this drawn out because we had Pet Cemetery, which is more about the grief of mm-hmm. losing a child. Even though at the end he loses his wife, but we don't get much time with him. Alan Pangborn, Alan Pangborn lost his wife and his child. It's true. So, so he's win. He's winning. He's winning. I oh, guess. that's the I, what's that... the prize. <laughs> <laughs> uh, being a badass. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bachelor again. Oh, no. <laughs> no, it, it it struck me, too. And that's yeah. why I was like, oh, is this our first, you know. Never as much of a whirlwind as this is, because he talks about the past four months since they've got the diagnosis and like traveling all over the place, going to specialists and really exhausting every single option. And mm-hmm. you feel the exhaustion and then you carry that emotional exhaustion into Mid-July, heat wave in Derry, and he's walked five miles in the sun, just drained. He's out by the airport and watching planes come in, and he realizes he's been gone for a while. And his wife is at home and turns around to head home, and he's confronted with something that shatters his view of a person. Should we talk about the introduction of Ed Deep now? I really thought this was a vision he was having. Ooh. I thought going into this that he, this was, this is all because of 15-year-old memory of this book. (laughs) So I know some of the stuff that is coming. So I expected this to be like, you know, heat stroke and stress-induced vision yeah dream because what happens is so immediately wild Mm -hmm. because he says uh this is the first instance i noticed something was wrong with ed deep now and in my head i was like oh he's gonna say something or make a crazy face no he drives his truck through a gate or something and crashes into a flatbed truck with a tarp thrown over the back like screaming obscenities, like wild obscenities at Amazing this gate, obscenities. not opening. And this from a person that Ralph, when he reflects on Ed, he's like, I feel like if he said a curse word, he'd lose sleep. Mm-hmm. I do love this about the writing because it's so, it does such a good job of making you understand very quickly. Even though we're being introduced to this crazy psychopath, the way Ralph describes this not being like him is so effective. There's a lot of that, like, kind of mirroring with characters of as things change and as stuff happens to different people that I think is particularly effective here. It it is effective in that it is an extremely memorable uh, scene. (laughs) I don't know that it's my favorite way we've been introduced to a character because it is immediately a 10 you know mm-hmm. like ed deep now is immediately the most i've despised a character in i don't know how long i thought about that what would this feel like if we knew ed before mm-hmm. and we're getting this change in him now yeah this made me from the outset think that oh this is going to be something i'm going to say and guys i dismissed it very early was that ed was the victim here yikes yeah well because (laughs) so the the clues that i had been given Mm -hmm. were that there's no reason for ed to be here Mm -hmm. the gate 
you have to have a, an access key. So why would this guy have an access key? So this guy's somewhere he wouldn't normally be found. No idea why he's here. He's acting way out of character. After he slams into this car, he like gets in the driver's face and starts yelling, asking him how many people he's killed today. All of this stuff. And so my brain immediately went to some sort of entity affecting mm. him some sort of like possession kind of thing. King has given us reasons to fear people coming out of airports. <laughs> I just, there were enough doubt things mm -hmm. that I'm like, did something, ha did, are we seeing Ed after something supernatural just happened to him that turned him into what we're seeing right now? And no. I learned quickly <laughs> well. that is not the case. Ralph actually does kind of the same thing mm -hmm. where he, despite how insane Ed is acting, Ed so clearly believes what he is saying that Ed, er, that Ralph is like, wait, hold on. Maybe he is, may maybe there's something going on here because, uh, you know, Ed starts, he's ranting. He tears the tarp off the back of this truck and they're like barrels, right? Hmm. And he's screaming, you know, I know what's in these barrels. What ask he he's talking to Ralph because they are friends. The deep knows they would bring their daughter over, so they know each other. Mm -hmm. And Ed starts talking to Ralph. Ask him. Ask the driver about what's in those barrels. And Ralph is like, "Okay, you need to show me what's in those yeah. barrels, man." Well, but he which does is it. the first instance of Ralph being a total dipshit. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't think he does it like he believes him. I think he does it like this is going to de-escalate the situation. There's yeah, obviously mm, nothing in the it. barrels. Okay. So just show him. So Because he even says, because the guy's like, what? And he's like, it's for him. Yeah, he you, says it's you, for him. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he does. He's like, do you want to stop him? Do you want him to stop fucking freaking out? Yeah. Okay. Because this, like, the guy in the truck is also twice Ed's size. And Ed has walked up to him and slapped him across the face and is like, poking him in his chest. Ed is described physically, and this is his profession, as a research chemist. <laughs> yes. The, the way King would describe someone yes. in this decade. So Ed believes that these barrels are full of dead babies. He is 100% positive, to the point that even when they take the top off a barrel and see its fertilizer, he's like, no, 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 I know this trick, and reaches his whole arm in searching mm -hmm. for something, and Ralph kind of sees the shift in him when he realizes there is nothing there. Yeah, I love that the driver is like, I, it's fucking fertilizer, I have to cover it up because if it gets wet, there's a chemical reaction. Yeah. Might want to wash your arm off soon, yeah. bud. <laughs> I'm sure it has nothing to do with anything. No, anyway. it can't. It can't have. I don't know, Ben. <laughs> don't tease me. He's wearing just a pointing scarf. stuff out for he's wearing later. A scarf, too, yeah. That I'm sure a scarf with Chinese characters on it. That, yeah, that I don't remember what that's about. I don't either. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Which is, I'm glad because I'm just pointing out the fertilizer out. thing for no reason. Oh, oh, <laughs> anyway. Okay. Oh, also we meet Dorrance, who is walking by, and he comes up to Ralph, and he's like, hey, don't touch Ed, because I can't see your hands anymore. And he also tells him that he shouldn't mess in long-time business. But we'll we'll deal more with him in the next part. We end up leaving this accident pretty gracefully, because the truck driver shouldn't be legally driving, mm -hmm. and he doesn't know the accident wasn't his fault, because he was watching the planes fly in, just like Ralph was. <laughs> Loved that detail to just get us out of that situation. Yeah. Uh, Ralph catches a ride with Trigger Vashon, who is a dry cleaner that pulled up and takes him home. 
and everything's all right. Everything is not all right. Everything's not all right. So when he gets home, Bill McGovern, his downstairs neighbor, like they live in an apartment complex. Like it... I feel like it's an old house turned into apartments. Yeah, because they just say that they share a house. Yeah, and he's the downstairs neighbor. So he comes home and and Bill's like... Something is bad is happening. I I called 911. Carolyn fell. I couldn't pick her back up. And that's how we're introduced to Bill. And then he's gone, but we'll meet him more later. And we, uh, we find out that the ambulance came... Caroline rallied in in the ambulance and was able to talk for a little bit. Then she had another seizure and then they were in the hospital. The doctor says that the tumor is spreading and that now it's just a matter of time. He takes her home and takes care of her from that summer all the way through the winter. And it is months after her death that the insomnia starts. And now the book starts. <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, that fifty pages didn't count. <laughs> We've gotten a few it references uh, thus far. They uh, Trigger Vashon mentions that they fixed the flooding issue, mm-hmm. which I thought In was great. Series, yeah, uh, and then this very first thing that mentions Mike Hanlon. That Mike Hanlon helped Ralph researching. Uh, the books on insomnia so he could learn what he was dealing with and try to like fix it Which somehow. I love. I, yeah. It made me very, very happy. Yeah. To see, I wish Mike was actually, and I hope he becomes a character. Oh my God, book. I would love it if we got uh, some more Mike. Especially when Helen starts working at the library yeah. later on. I was like, oh, are we going to get Mike Hanlon? I'm really hoping. I'm really, really hoping. I just love too how proactive Ralph is. Yeah. Well, and he's kind of not forced to be, but most people would go to their doctor and ask them because they're the experts, but he doesn't want to do that. And it's such a perfect reason. Exactly. Yeah, yes, I was just about to works. say the same yeah. thing. Yeah. Because his his doctor was the same doctor that saw his wife when she started having headaches. And he says that Dr. What, Litchfield? Yeah. yeah. That Litchfield probably thought it was nothing more than a case of the vapors and so treated it with Tylenol until discovering that it was too late yes and the only reason that no ralph says at one point like the only reason that he hasn't hit the guy is because another doctor that he liked way more said even if he had caught it early Mm -hmm. on it wouldn't have made a difference the specialist who ends up treating her before she dies yeah Yeah. now by august we are uh with ralph as he's waking up at 3 30 in the morning every single day no thank you fuck that I didn't realize until this book how stupid the name Secondhand Rose, Secondhand Clothes is, and <laughs> I hate it. Is that where Bill yes. gets his bike? Yeah, so that's where Stephen Silver King is. is playing the shop owner. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I know, because he's a douchebag. Yeah. I'm like, wait, technically, according to the newest movie, yeah. that guy's Stephen King. <laughs> uh, he's going to to the bookstore. Uh, God, I forgot to I forgot the name of the bookstore. Hand. Hand handies. handies. Nailed it. Why Hand- would it be? <laughs> Something pages. Handy pages. Mm. Handy pages. Handy pages, of course. Um, and he sees in the window of secondhand rows, secondhand clothes, wanted for murder, Susan Edwina Day, stay out of our city, paid for by the main life watch committee. Which freaks him out because back at this, uh, when he had seen Ed, he had, what, had a random passing thought Hey, hey, Susan Day, right? Or was that Ed what yells it? saying it at the oh, guy. Says, yeah. Hey, hey, Susan Day, okay. how many kids did you kill today? I missed that. I think that played a part oh in why gosh, I thought that yeah. was a vision. <laughs> I thought he was like shining for a second. And he was like, oh. So the I, shining is just oh, ruined. Oh, yeah. This we experience. get some shining later. 
Kinda. Also, well, I don't know. Bookstores are handy. I have to defend myself. I wasn't being sexual. So Susan Day (laughs) is, uh, yeah, it said the the name in that rhyme. Mm. And uh, Hamilton Davenport, the owner of Back Pages, it is in my notes. Back Pages is the store. Mm. Kind of pulls him out of the fog and is like, what are you looking at? Oh, gee, this fucking guy. Hamilton Davenport. My favorite character in the book. <laughs> it's my favorite name. Uh, it's a fantastic, <laughs> it's a fantastic name. Yeah. name. No, because Hamilton Davenport is like, sees that Secondhand Rose, Secondhand Clothes has this anti-abortion uh, poster. Basically, it's like, fuck that guy. <laughs> fuck that. And is uh, extremely reasonably angry. This is the point where I decided I don't like Ralph very much. I can see that. Because he, they start talking about this abortion debate. Okay, here's where we got to have a second to talk, uh, audience. This is me, Ben Graham. If you are pro-life, fuck you. Anyway, continuing on. Yeah, uh, Davenport is very reasonably like, hey, this sucks. They're protesting against this women's shelter mm-hmm. that does all of this. And did you hear that? last a uh, few months ago or whenever some guy tried to firebomb it yeah. got arrested fire uh, like trying to to harm mm-hmm. this women's center and ralph's response is well they do do abortions don't they right. fuck you yeah. are you kidding I, me i feel like that was an incomplete thought i think we should discuss this in the context of his other thought that kind of reminds me of that and bothered me. And then Lidecker is a whole new thing, probably mm-hmm. in episode two. What? Because Ralph is, he says he was brought up in a time where, and this is in reference to something that happens later, uh, men and women kept things to themselves. And he struggles with how he was raised and what's before him and grappling with what's my role? What responsibility do I have? What do I do? What's the right answer? I don't mind Ralph specifically having that journey of trying to figure out well, I wasn't raised to feel this way, but let's investigate that. And I, I think that moment later in him being willing to have that experience and journey made me understand this one a little better because he does sign sure. the petition. Yes. He's, he's an old Boy, man. Boy, he doesn't fucking want to, though. <laughs> well, I think it, it, when he says they do abortions is because they're talking about that it, about the abortion clinic and... Hamilton's That's like exactly well, the thing though he, he is goes thinking of it do, as an abortion clinic yeah. is they they do so much other stuff and who the fuck cares but if, that's that's where Hamilton like teaches him that mm-hmm. like the Hamilton explains to him yeah because Hamilton also gets annoyed when he's like yeah it's an abortion clinic he's like yeah but it does like they help women escape uh, mm. abusive relationships they take they do free women's health checks they do all this stuff like. It's, so uh, much King community is using stuff, so Ralph much. to answer the question yes. that we're trying to answer when people focus on abortion and we're mm-hmm. like, it's about women. Sure. Health. Yeah. And and this is chapter one or two at this point. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I I expect Ralph to have room to grow and I will grow to like him. Okay. But at <laughs> this okay. point, you feel hype, yeah. but at this point, he he does, he's like, oh yeah, you you're making some good he's points. He's uncomfortable, yeah. He signs the petition, which is great. But also he still walks away being like, boy, people get so upset and oh, I just wish people weren't so passionate. There are good people on both sides. Fuck you. But that, but that is like, where where our society's mindset was 
back and then it, and more is. so. And I can't wait for the people who read this, who are in Ralph's shoes, who are the people that it's mm-hmm. so frustrating to talk to because they're like, well, you know, they have these kinds of logical fallacies. I can't wait for them to watch Ralph grow. And I hope that it triggers something in them. that They're like, yeah, I felt like that character, too. And I'm I'm changing because my mind is opening where I can relate with Ralph is when they're talking about this. He mentions in regards to pregnancy, him and Caroline tried for years unsuccessfully. The closest they got was a miscarriage in the fifth term post going through the miscarriage that my wife and I had and being being in that that space. I guess that headspace that going through that puts you in it does the the grief puts you in a, a all life is precious mindset that I I understand but the, where where that feeling gets turned into a weapon is making that personal feeling blanket always yeah, that's for everyone's everyone. option yeah. and that is not acceptable yeah mm-hmm. I don't want to say pro life anymore henceforth we will be referring to these organizations as anti-choice and uh, as ben you already mentioned the uh, anti-choice domestic terrorism that happens uh that that it was threatened against them the reason they're trying to bring susan day in is susan day is a political activist they are trying to shut down women care in dairy and their petitions are to bring susan day to bring attention and try to get people to save woman care so that is what this back and forth, the, the reason that he insinuates the owner of secondhand rose, secondhand clothes, put the sign up there is because he found out Hamilton had a petition to bring her. Mm-hmm. And that's the stuff that has also given me real needful things vibes. Yeah. 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 Having the, the neighbors that this, I have oh, a feeling that the, this is going to turn bloody. Thank God for- Gaunt never went to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my God. God. <laughs> oh, that would have been. I, I, I'm just gonna say this: Freddy versus Jason. But <laughs> I know what you're gonna say. Gaunt v Pennywise. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. It sounds so stupid. It's such a bad idea. <laughs> and Let's I, make it. I want it so yeah. badly. Ben, start writing it. Okay, I'm done. I right. want it. Good. Uh, on Ralph's walk home, going uh, up up Mile Hill, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he nearly passes out. Luckily, there's a sexy widower. We meet Lois Chase. What do you guys think of Lois? <laughs> she is sexy as Ralph. Make sure to let us know. <laughs> Ralph He's is, a is a centrist. Man. <laughs> He's a centrist <laughs> and a pervert. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking every woman he sees is like, yeah. Yeah, I, <laughs> I throw it in her. I, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm fine with it. Yeah, <laughs> done. Lois is such an interesting character. Lois feels... And I I like her. (laughs) Yes. Like, both her and once we get to meet Bill, they feel like characters from a different book. Does that... Is that just me? Yeah, no, I get it. Because they are in a... They're in a sitcom like Golden Girls. They are absolutely (laughs) in the Golden Girls. (laughs) And I love them. And then Ralph's just like a (laughs) funny daddy. (laughs) Ralph's just like, I'm tired. Ralph is the Stephen King screenplay episode for the Golden Girls. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, So we, it's the, the first hint of there being some romantic chemistry between these two uh, widowers. Oh, never mind. What? I don't want to spoil anything, but we get a clue here. 
that What's we'll get the clue? to later. Well, it's not until episode two. Well, but the clue's here. But we're in episode one, give Sam. Us it's going to give it away so Stop hard. Stop reading ahead. Okay, Ralph. <laughs> Ralph is noticing some things about Lois. And when she's looking at him, beyond her, what he calls Spanish eyes... I hope that's not offensive. He's complimenting them, but well, he does say offensive. what they called in my day. So, it's so probably, at least he yeah, acknowledges that it's probably not horrible. And and she has nice legs and stuff. And she's giving him this interesting look. And in it, he's like, you know, am I seeing weariness? Am I seeing her just being tired of the will they won't they that's going on between us? Mm. Yeah, that's all I'm going to say. And I'm not talking about their relationship. <laughs> <laughs> now uh, we. Focus a little bit on the insomnia. He's found out through this time of insomnia that everybody he's ever met has a home remedy. That's how it goes. Absolutely. (laughs) Anytime you have any problem that has a home remedy to it, Mm. everyone's got one. But the point is that he will try anything at Mm -hmm. this point because he says the color's kind of gone out of the world. He's so exhausted. And my favorite one is stay up all night and then go to bed (laughs) just before you'd wake up. Makes sense. And the pain (laughs) you feel when he's like, I, my eyes feel like they're a thousand pounds. Oh, sleep's going to be so good. 3 a.m. hits. Oh, wait, I'm not sleepy anymore. I'm hell. Oh God. Such a nightmare. (laughs) Luckily, this will be a real easy day. You won't have anything too hectic uh, (laughs) and taxing to do while he is insanely exhausted. He decides to take a trip to Red Apple, which is this convenience store that's across the street, to uh, get some soup. And he starts making small talk with the clerk. And the clerk suddenly screams. She starts screaming because outside on the street is Helen Deepno. And she is holding Natalie, her baby, like not mm. not one year old or just just past one year old somewhere yeah. in that area. And Helen is covered in blood and she's holding Natalie, not like you'd hold a baby that you don't want to drop, but like you'd hold a sack of groceries that you're about to lose the grip on. And Ralph, I love this, this like bystander effect mm-hmm. where everybody else is just staring at her frozen and Ralph this 70 something year old guy exhausted runs out to her and grabs her and he gets her inside the store. He gets the baby uh, before she falls in a very scary, oh, very scary. He says like, he, as he's grabbing her, he can still hear the sound of her head hitting the sidewalk. Uh, she doesn't, but he's she like picturing it because it almost it's happens. So close that he's like, terrified that he's gonna hear this i don't have kids that stuff usually doesn't register with me but it's like yeah (laughs) once they have her inside ralph goes to call the cops and she says through what has only been like one syllable responses because she is so out of it she's so beaten up yeah she's uh she tells ralph not to call 911 she says don't call the police it was ed that did this i don't know why he didn't stop this time this time time. another point for not liking fucking ralph because he thinks back and he's like oh yeah i guess i have seen her with bruises i guess that's a sign the fact that he forgot about the truck incident that 
That's insane. <laughs> is that because of the insomnia? I don't know. I don't. I think it was because it was oh, like a year ago at yeah. this point, and oh, it was like just wife, as his wife, wife was dying. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but he's been distracted. Still, he's admitted that. Yeah. But it's the crazy. If you, someone you knew well, if I, if you witnessed me flip out screaming about dead babies i would hope you wouldn't just be like wow ben had a bad day <laughs> i hope yes you would fucking mark that yeah we like would. yeah okay yeah. good because i'm so but angry if Devin died right no. after that I'd, what, what? <laughs> i'd probably be distracted if Devin died right after that though <laughs> yeah i guess it's fair but still like the, when no, he was I, like it's hard to hear him remember that he's seen her with yeah. bruises and he's just dismissed it as oh. well she's she, it's it's that behavior it's the excuses you know and you know she's got a, a small child like oh, i i tripped i tripped over one of natalie's toys i fell down and he like, knows ed so well this person who is not described as what we saw in mm-hmm. that prologue yeah helen helped ralph so much when his wife passed he goes mm-hmm. into all of that and he debates whether or not to call because she's saying don't and he's like, do I help her even though she doesn't want it? And that's what he's saying when he's like, mm. I grew up in a time where you minded your own business. Yeah. And a lot of people feel that way about almost anything that happens between two other people to the extremes, both good and bad. Were either of you worried he wasn't going to call? Yeah. Because I certainly yes. was. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't remember and I was like, oh shit. Yeah. But he does. He, against her wishes, he calls and we find out that Ed hit her because. That beat her up. Oh, yeah. Ed pummeled the ever loving hell out of her. Yeah. What do they see? She has uh, several broken bones. Concussion. Yeah. One uh, of her eyes is swollen uh, shut. A, a, shattered, yes. like, cheek yeah. or jaw. Some of her two hair of her teeth were not ripped out. out of her mm-hmm. head. Yeah. It's bad. Because she sent him to the store to get some formula. And he saw somebody with one of those Susan Day petitions. He looked at it and saw her name on it mm-hmm. and came home and did that. It's insane. The This is where, like, all I just kept thinking about, because this is when Ralph clocks that she says he this didn't time. stop this time. Mm-hmm. And that's when that line really sinks in for him. I missed it. Because I was so engrossed in what was happening, I missed the this time until Ralph brings it back. And it, oh God, it made me sick. It made me so disgusted. This is also where I realized that this book was going to be hard to read mm. because of the abortion issue. Because as we know, like we, we started reading this book as Roe v. Wade was. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to get to, to Ed. Yeah. I do not know the last time. I have hated a character as much as I listening to Ed's rant was physically very difficult for me to listen to Mm -hmm. because in what, when was this book written? 90s. 90s. And when I read it in the early 2000s, this was the ravings of a lunatic, which it still is. Mm -hmm. But now it's also a mainstream political belief. That's yeah. It's so tough. And I fucking hate it so much. It makes me so unbelievably angry that, like, I I had to listen to this chapter in 10-minute bites. We honestly Uh, couldn't have picked a... (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say a better time. This book can never hit us harder, Mm -hmm. God willing, than it is right now. And that is... This, I think that's going to make this an exceptionally interesting book for us to discuss. And I'm I'm really looking forward to that content. Not so much the content I'm going to have to read, I bet. Can, 
Can I make a comment? Yeah. About mm-hmm. the issue? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Please. I want to share something for everyone, no matter how you feel about it personally, no matter how your personal feelings play into what you think other people should or should not do. And I just want to say real quick that if you don't like your entertainment to get political, please recognize that that feeling is a privilege that only some people get to experience. The rest of us are affected by these issues in such a way that we can't escape them. So must be nice not to worry about your autonomy and body being controlled by others in such a way that you don't want to hear about how upsetting that is for those of us who are the target of these injustices. Anyway, abortion has always been around and it has always been regulated to some degree. In the 19th and 20th centuries, there were no laws on the books about it. And so states had the freedom to freedom, create their own interpretation of what this needed to look like. And beginning in the 1900s, they started restricting and banning abortions. There's a book by Leslie J. Reagan, When Abortion Was a Crime, that talks about how the American Medical Association decided in 1857 that they needed to outlaw abortion partially to get control of women's health out of the hands of midwives and into the hands of doctors, which is just one of several motivations that she discusses. So what's interesting is both sides claim racist motivations, too, because this wouldn't be the land of the free if we weren't shitty and stupid about it. One side claimed that white Protestant Americans feared immigrants taking over and essentially wanted to force white numbers up by banning abortions. The other side claimed that they wanted to control women of color to keep non-white numbers down. So they're both like arguing Mm -hmm. these things to each other. So we have everyone yelling racist at everyone else, which is still happening today, unfortunately, which adds another depressingly complex layer to everything. But legally speaking, super interesting. And I'm going to give you guys some cases to investigate if you want to know more about it. Setting aside for a moment the ethical and moral arguments, literally no one can agree on what constitutes life. Mm -hmm. And this is how we got trimesters. The primary problem from a legal standpoint is if scientists and doctors can't agree to what life is, the Supreme Court didn't feel like they were the ones who should get to decide what constitutes life. Weird. That doesn't sound like the Supreme Court I know. (laughs) And so I'm not going to go into the history of the definitions and trimesters and everything, which is actually really interesting. You know, what beginning of life has meant over the decades, how it's changed. But you guys should listen to the episode about Roe v. Wade on the podcast Stuff You Should Know, which is I'm basically summarizing all of the really interesting information that they put together, all of the amazing points that they made. So please check that out if you get a moment. And I guess if you don't want to hear this, you can skip ahead like 20 minutes. But in the 70s, we have all of these lawsuits being brought by pregnant women. and The government decided they had to step in and balance all of this because they felt like they had an interest in protecting life of the unborn fetus and protecting women's right to choose whether or not we have children because that's extremely important. So Roe v. Wade plays into this in a more complicated way than many people realize because Norma McCorvey, who is Jane Roe, she lived in Texas. They had very strict bans on abortion. If the fetus was, quote, there were not mine, malformed. If the mother's life was in danger, if the pregnancy was a product of rape, then you could possibly, by jumping through medical hoops, get an abortion. I'm not going to dive into the issue of introducing parameters that basically make, you know, some some women worthy of the right to choose and others not. But um, Norma didn't fit the criteria, so she couldn't get an abortion in Texas. And she couldn't afford, she didn't have the privilege and luxury to go to another state that had better laws the way many other well-to-do women could choose to do. She had two kids already. She had adopted them out. And she was a lesbian in a relationship with her partner as she was 
pregnant with her third child. So she connects with Linda and Sarah. Those were her two attorneys. Took her case. As we know now, she later became a born-again Christian, fought against pro-abortion laws, saying she was manipulated. Then on her deathbed, set the pro-life side, paid her and told her what to say. And she did a good job because she's a good actress. What's important here is that Norma was just a woman who wanted to make the right choice for herself and her life and was used by both sides. And that is upsetting. But it's what she said she was manipulated over that's interesting. She said the attorneys, her attorneys, talked her out of getting an abortion, didn't try to help her find a way to make it happen, which is what she wanted. But at that time, if you weren't a pregnant woman, like actively pregnant, the courts said you didn't have standing to fight this issue. Obviously, this is problematic because all the other side has to do is file motions to delay the trial Mm -hmm. till you have the baby. And then you are moot in the eyes of the law for this issue. So... Two Supreme Court justices had to retire due to health, and they died when her case was active, so it delayed it for several years. That's when Nixon appointed Rehnquist and Powell in 71, and they redid the whole case with these two new justices included. The law changed in a good way because of this case, and it was determined that if you had, have, or could at any point have a baby, you have legal standing at any point to fight this issue. So I won't get into that, but there are a lot of other important cases happening at the time that affected where we're at now, which you can look up if you're interested. One is United States v. Vooch. A 1971 doctor was performing illegal abortions because the law was unconstitutionally vague regarding, quote, health of the mother. But what's interesting about that is the court ruled against him, but they acknowledged the mother's mental health should also be considered. That's part of health, well-being. And that comes to play in later cases. A few other cases that actually weren't about abortion, but set precedent that affected abortion cases were Meyer v. Nebraska, 1923s, post-World War I. The government said, hey, you can't teach foreign languages in schools, only English, which is why we're all uncultured yeah. fucks. It was They weren't feeling good about Germany. Pierce v. Society of Sisters, 1925 Oregon case, saying all kids have to go to public school, not private. These are going to come into play. So they, because they affected both the Ninth and Fourteenth Amendments, which is what Roe v. Wade was built on. So basically, this means Supreme Court is like, hey, just because the Constitution mentions A, B, and C, it doesn't mean that other things that we're dealing with aren't protected or shouldn't be protected. We have other rights that explicitly aren't stated here because the world has changed. Our forefathers could not have anticipated mm-hmm. the issues we're dealing with today and technology and all that. So as we know, the 14th Amendment's all about equal protection under the law with due process. This is extremely important and is a majority of why right now when you step out of your door, you're going to see a bunch of angry women talking about men getting the fuck out of their bodies. The Constitution was written at a time before the internet, for example, (laughs) which opens up a lot of issues of rights and legality. And it was written by men. And maybe if women had been part of that and included and had a say, things might be different. So women are not represented in the Constitution. And the Supreme Court recognizes that. And they believe, most of them, that the Constitution should be a living, breathing document, not a stagnant, sexist, racist, piece of fucking shit and our society and country changes and so too do our laws also extremely important and possibly a real problem which i'll get to in a second is griswold versus connecticut regarding substantive due process this was a 1965 case that said even though which this goes to the point i was just making even though the constitution doesn't say americans have the right to privacy Everybody, I think, agrees Americans have the right to privacy, and and we want that. This is scary because it affects what's referred to as the bedroom cases. This is where you get into whether or not the government has a right to tell two dudes who want to push their wieners together, whatever you guys do when you're alone, whether or not they can do that, or two women who want to be together. Is this sex a crime, and do they have the right to do it? It also affects gay marriage laws. 
This basically deals with several rights that are not set forth explicitly in the Constitution, like marriage, procreation, contraception, family relationships, child rearing, and education. And this is why the Loving v. West Virginia case, this is what it was built on. It was built on, you know, that was the our interracial marriage, like our mm-hmm. p- most popular one that we all know about. I am simplifying this horribly, but because Roe v. Wade was built on the right to privacy, the government saying there are all these private things that we don't have the right to weigh in on and we're just going to leave it alone, that creates a legal problem because the right to privacy isn't stated in the Constitution. So people can bring it into court. They can argue that, hey, this isn't part of it. And it could be overturned, essentially. So Roe v. Wade has always been on shaky ground because of the right to privacy issue. Your ability and freedom to decide what's best for your life. But, you know, we don't need that when it comes to women's sex. So even Ruth Bader Ginsburg was like, you guys, the I support choice, but we're going to be in trouble someday because somebody's going to notice that they have legal standing technically mm-hmm. and they're going to bring this up again, hence where we are now. She had suggested a more appropriate basis for it, like equal protection under the 14th Amendment, because forcing women to be pregnant forces a condition on women that men are not subject to, which is dis- gender discrimination. And that's part of the equal protection clause. Way from her legal standing, so people who are against abortion wouldn't be able to poke holes in it. Another thing that this podcast pointed out is the reason we had an influx of abortion cases in the 60s is because of the social changes taking place at that time, which was basically women women getting out from under men's thumbs, women in the workforce, taking birth control, taking their own lives over, having autonomy in what they did and how they were treated. So, you know, self-determination. Like, that's also important. That's why we as women tend to get very upset about this issue. There was another case, John and Mary Doe. They couldn't take birth control for health reasons. So they're like, hey, government, you are infringing on our rights as a married couple to have sex without getting pregnant. Check out Doe v. Bolton also because the court there's like, okay, a woman can get an abortion for any reason and it's not our business why she wants it. This is extremely important because the arguments that I see, even on the side, you know, that I'm also on, really focus on reasons people think everyone should be able to support for abortion, like rape survivors, incest survivors, which yes, and I get what you're trying to do. You know, you want to like connect with people, make them understand why it's important. But we're also then making it about judgment and morals mm-hmm. that other people can impose on us. The reason you want an abortion is not important. Mm -hmm. And I can't say it any clearer than that. Stop saying there are good reasons because that opens a door for bad reasons. And if you don't want children, that's your reason and that is not a bad reason. So under the Second Amendment, you have the very narrow restrictions if you're going to limit someone's rights. And that's why gun laws are so difficult for us to change. How do we protect your rights to bear arms and protect life from mass shootings? No one knows. No one can agree or has the right answer. And the legal mess that creates in Roe v. Wade then is that they're saying you have to narrowly tailor these laws around abortion, but they disagree that women should be able to get an abortion for any reason at any time. Takes us back to that original argument of how we define life. When does it start? What is that narrow restriction? That's, again, when they were looking to trimesters. And we have people on the extremes of both ends. The moment a cell joins, that's life. Or until the baby is born, you can abort. What's considered viable life? How early can a baby survive out of the womb? How do scientific and medical progresses change that issue? And should that then change the law? And we're all really just too stupid and emotional to figure it out together. And instead, we fight about it and alienate each other, which is hard not to do because we're so pissed off, which is why I wanted to talk about this, because I don't want to alienate anybody. I want them to think. Mm. Basically, abortion rights are a sensitive and important issue. I know people in my own life who aren't 
pro-women's health, I'll call it, and don't understand why it's so upsetting to so many of us and why we push back with those arguments like you're trying to control our sexuality, our lives. And some women want babies, and that's great and fantastic, but no one can ever understand the fear of someone like myself who doesn't want children that I have of accidentally getting pregnant. This leads me to my final point. There are several important research-based studies that have followed women who have had abortions, and the result are this. Pregnancy for women might force a mentally unhealthy life on them and their children if the child isn't wanted. This was called the turnaway study. They had 1,000 women put into three groups, those who sought an abortion three weeks after the deadline and were denied, those who sought it two weeks before and were granted, and those who got one in the first trimester. The results were that women who were denied had complications from the end of pregnancy, including death. They were more likely to stay with abusive partners. They were less likely to have aspirational life plans for the following year. They had financial burden, which included lower credit score, higher debt, increased bankruptcy, and evictions. And just to clarify, all the women included in the study were of the same economic standing. 95% of the women who had an abortion reported that it was the right decision even up to five years afterwards. So we have a very important case built on shaky ground. And for a long time, the Supreme Court has always overruled the challenges to Roe v. Wade and then guess what happened? We changed trimester to undue burden, but didn't define it. The laws have just continued to be weakened to give more standing to those who oppose it. So it got overturned, and now states can decide. And Kavanaugh and Corsich got their appointment hearings, and they were super vague when they were asked if they'd overturn Roe v. Wade. And the de Democrats were like, I asked, and you're vague, so I hope this works out. So fuck everybody. Everybody's failed. Mm. Uh, the other infuriating injustice that ties into this is that five justices were nominated by presidents who lost the popular vote. So they were put there by the mi minority of Americans. They do not represent the majority. Kill the electoral college. Also irritating is that two justices were confirmed in a fucking bogus. I have to put the word fucking in front of that mm -hmm. way. McConnell didn't allow Obama's nomination because it was eight months before an election. But then Trump got his in 35 days before the election, the quickest turnaround in U.S. history. Also, the list Trump got for nominations was handpicked by the Federalist Society and Organization of Conservative Lawyers. Government, legislators, politicians, voters, you're all fucking failing us. <laughs> mm -hmm. Stop. I'm just going to end this rant by saying suck my dick. Uh, listen <laughs> to Stuff You Should Know for far less emotional and all over the place discussion on mm. why this is an issue and why we need to care about it, not just for women's rights, but for a lot of other important rights, too. And let's hope we can figure this out and protect gay marriage, gay sex, right to contraception, right to self-determination. Sorry. Uh, no, that's Fantastic. all great stuff. And I, uh, I agree with every single thing you say up until the point where you say we should not alienate these people. Fuck these people. <laughs> all valid points. Anyway, <laughs> we're reading a book. Uh, so we pick back up in chapter two. Because <laughs> um, that is all the further we've made it. Boy, howdy. Uh, um, God, I'm glad we went from that intensity to another insanely intense <laughs> moment because uh, Ralph followed semi-closely behind by Bill. Head over to Ed's. Once the... the Cops start arriving. Ralph's not fucking around. He's going to go. Uh, it seems like he's going to beat the shit out of Ed. But I love that he he walks up and Ed is sitting back, has his feet up on chair. He's listening to some music. He would look completely fine if it weren't for his bloody knuckles and the drop of blood on his 
glasses. It's it's actually a really dope visual of <laughs> yeah. this scene. Like I it's it's very intense, but just that it's it's described as this like Norman Rockwell like picturesque ideal of an upper middle class suburban dude, yuppie on his lawn listening to music, but just the the slight offness of the blood. Yeah. It throws it into such sharp contrast. And the fury that when Ralph gets up there, he, it, Ed's reaction is, hey man, pull up a rock, grab a beer. Everything's mm-hmm. totally fine and cool. And Ralph realizes, I think this guy wants me to beat the shit out of him. He like, wanted I'm to. I'm pretty sure first. you want me to. This is and that's why again, he doesn't. Another current day political. This is a proud boy move. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The I, I'm going to try to piss you off so that when you hit me, because I deserve to be hit, I can pull some horse shit. Now yeah. we're both bad. Now we're both yeah. victims. I, this is where I love Carolyn is because she spoke up in Ralph's head because she's dead mm-hmm. at this point uh, about the petition. He basically signs it because of her because he knows what she would have done. And then here, oh no, in the grocery store, he hears her voice again. Like, oh, Carolyn always used, to, always used to tell me when I bitch about stuff I don't want to do. So he's acknowledging like, oh, I'm just trying to make myself more comfortable by staying out of their private business. Mm-hmm. And then here again, he hears Carolyn saying he wants you to hit him. And why is that? So he doesn't. But I love I would have loved to see Ralph. He's like, man, I wish I was just even 50 years old again. I think I could take him. I, I could take, take him. Here's an interesting thing. And Josh, you won't fully know. All since right. You haven't read this book. CM, if Ralph had hit Ed, I don't think the rest of the book happens. No, oh, I don't remember that. I'm no, so I excited. I think Ralph hits Ed right now. Ed loses his mind and beats the ever-living dog piss out of Ralph. Yeah. And, and, then, then, I, <laughs> and then it's in front of the cops. And yeah. then he goes oh, to jail. Because you can hit your wife, but not your because neighbor. Because they, they <laughs> make a distinct point about that. <laughs> they do, yeah. And it, it sucks. sucks. Yeah, um, Hitting your wife's just a misdemeanor because no, it's your I, wife. No, I honest to God believe that Ralph goes to the hospital, but the rest of the book doesn't happen. Some entities we haven't met yet would have yes. to pull some strings. So I don't know. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Good God, right. Josh. <laughs> uh, Ed explains. He shoves. Gently, Ralph, Yeah. V- very gently shoves him to the ground. He's old. He yeah. can fall over. Uh, and yeah, Ed, old people love falling over. <laughs> that's their favorite thing. They have commercials about it. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> you are watching them wrong. Am I? <laughs> Oh, oh no. I, I love I love falling. Oh no. <laughs> I've fallen and I can't don't care about getting <laughs> up. And then they're just like waving their arms around like they're having a great uh-huh. time. Jesus. Ed says that he saw his wife sign up with those baby killers with the Crimson King himself. Mm-hmm. And he Wild. just saw red because she is on the side of the Crimson King and his centurions and Is this where he tells him Derry's special? Mhm. Mm-hmm. Because he, and I do love this, I know what you're going to yeah. say, the, that he knows that babies are dying in the thousands in dairy. Yep. Because he's seen them. He's seen them in the hedges, on the roofs. In the in Kandusky. The river. Yeah. In the Kandusky. Of course he's seen bodies yeah. in the Kandusky. I think he, because we also find out that he, he tells Ralph, sometimes the world is full of colors. And lately, they've all been turning black. 
and we're like, that's crazy. That's, insane. <laughs> that's a wild thing. But we later find out mm-hmm. that this is a thing because Ralph starts seeing colors. Oh my God. And so I think whatever this madness is, they are, I, I, I do think that Ed is tapping into mm-hmm. this. Oh, I can't wait. This it's- is my favorite part of the book. It's a different level of the tower. He's seeing a different level of existence and he's seeing the latent psychic damage that Pennywise caused in this town. (laughs) He's seeing ghost babies and he's attributing them to the Crimson King. That's amazing. Did you also catch the beam reference? No, what? He says that, you know, the Crimson King's like jumping from host to host. Mm. It's like an Antichrist situation. And he thinks he's going to succeed this time because Derry's different. Derry's special. There are, I forget his exact wording, but it, it's he's talking about the beams. There are powers, there are lines of power converging. Mm. Oh, see, I just took that as like ley lines. No, and the, but the, no like, it was, yeah. yeah, it's the yeah. beams. Yeah, oh, cool. I love when the police show up. And at first, Ralph is so angry because they're so casual. And he's like... Ed tricked me for years. He's good at playing sane. Mm -hmm. These hick cops aren't going to get it. But that's not true. I I was so worried Mm -hmm. after Ed's whole thing. And because when the cops walk up, they're like, hey, you uh, your name's Ralph. You need to go stand over there. We're going to talk to this guy. I was so worried. They're going to be like, oh, yeah, to fight with the wife. That's cool. Don't do it again. Uh, They did the first half uh, of that, but not the Dynamite main accent. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, I'm walking here. Lobster. Real mean. <laughs> but they 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 play it that way to disarm Ed. And Ralph even, because Ed's, you know, just being super casual. And they're like, oh, man, that sucks. We know how that goes. <laughs> and Ralph's like, you guys know. He's talking about some crazy shit. And the cops, Lydecker, we find out who it is. It's like, um, sir, I'm talking to my friend Ed here. Yeah. Yeah. And then... Turns it instantly and it's great. Hey, look, I'm talking Ed. Hey, by the way, Ed, you do have the right to remain silent. Mm -hmm. Anything you can, anything you say can or will be used against you. And Ed's like, yeah, I get it. It's like he gets like it's the moment when he's like, yeah, you understand your rights as I've I've read them to you. And he's like, wait, what? Wait, (laughs) those were my rights. When Uh, when Ralph (laughs) Ralph is looking at him and he thinks for a second that he's because the the ease with which Ed is flipping between mm-hmm. lunacy and the aw shucks I'm just a your neighborly friendly yeah. next door research chemist it is so clear and distinct and there's a second when the cops start being reading him his rights where he sees him go blank again mm-hmm. and he he compares me says it looks like a computer trying to deal with a large input mm-hmm. of information and he thinks he's gonna flip out but he doesn't but i do love that yeah it's of, a good like it's a cool yeah. scene uh we we find out that uh even though they threatened him with felonies it is just a misdemeanor but if he breaks the protection order, that's a felony. You just have to hope that uh, the wife survives yeah, if, him breaking if he that order. Her, he's going to jail. Yeah, <laughs> that'll teach him. It's so infuriating. The cop's response is like, yeah, that is the problem sometimes. Yeah. Like, do 
fucking something about it then. Well, yeah. there's so System. many things, yeah, all of us need to do about mm-hmm. it. That night, Ralph is at home and he's he's thinking about everything that's happened. He calls the hospital and checks. She's not taking calls, but he knows that she's safe. And uh, 15 minutes later, he gets a phone call. It's just heavy breathing. It's and just breathing. <laughs> and then he gets another phone call and it's Helen. And I loved this conversation because Helen is so strong and vulnerable in this moment to say, to not only say, uh, you know, uh, this woman from Woman Care came to me of all the irony <laughs> that, uh, you know, how this came about. She shared her story with me. She's taking me and Natalie to High Ridge, which is something we found out about from Hamilton Davenport earlier. And before she gets off the phone, she says, I was so mad at you all day. I I told you not to and you did. And I was so mad and I'm still a little mad, but thank you. Like I get that these feelings aren't a faucet you can turn on and off. And I think this is why I like Ralph still because of this moment together, because he is a vehicle that King used for, I hope people who Mm -hmm. don't understand domestic violence and what that does to you mentally and will essentially inadvertently or not victim blame and say, why don't they leave? It's their fault for staying. I think this illustrates why that's not an argument. Yeah. Why that's ignorance. I, I guess that's true. It's I think my just my biggest problem with Ralph is that I've read Rose Matter that hmm. deals with this issue so much more deeply because our main character is in the center of it. A woman. And we feel yeah. and it, yeah, we feel and just Looking at these issues from the outside, from an old white man's perspective, it doesn't feel as... It's hard. Yeah. It's hard because it reminds me that people are still that way. That's why I get upset about it, but I'm I'm trying to be more optimistic reading it, hoping that other people who do feel that way, who who will read this someday or have read it, have thought more about it and hopefully changed. We need more people to be better. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. They have to figure out how to do it one way or another. I I will work to give this fictional old white man. (laughs) You don't have to give him a pass. Just just a a chance. So the next week, Ralph gets a letter from Helen and saying that, you know, they're up in High Ridge. Everything is going well. The note says that she's going to leave Ed, which in an earlier conversation, Bill's like, She's probably going to go back because that's what they do. She'll need at least one more need, round. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, what the hell was that about? It's, it's that, him being can, it's establishing Bill deal? being super cynical. Uh, man, Bill's going to die before the end of this Guys, book. I can feel it. We're Abs- just we're being given a glimpse into what people think mm-hmm. and why this remains yeah. an issue, mm-hmm. unfortunately. So the note says she's leaving Ed and that Ed... He'd been kind of losing it. She caught him talking to himself when she said something to him about it. He said he was talking to the tiny bald doctor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure, that's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, considering the first part of the book, like the first yeah. book of the book is called the tiny bald doctor. <laughs> or little bald doctor. <laughs> yeah, sorry, little yeah. bald doctor. And as we leave this, Ralph uh, laments that his sleep window is getting smaller and mm. smaller. So on September 10th, uh, we have the first demonstration of the Friends of Life at Woman Care, uh, where some people were arrested, Ed being one of them. They find out they find out kind of secondhand, and Lois is saying, 
hey, I know the receptionist there. I'll get all the details. Let's meet up later and I'll I'll fill you guys in. Uh, they just know that Ed was arrested. They uh, when she leaves, though, she waves goodbye and he sees blue diagonal lines coming from her fingertips. And uh, Bill walks away with her and their footprints are like those dance tutorial videos that are I, like leaving an impression. I do love this I, moment. Yeah. Um, first, I want to talk about, because there's also this moment where uh, Bill and Lois are like dancing. It's a Golden <laughs> Girls moment. Yes. And there are some young folks across the street that kind of point and laugh. I and didn't are like that. Like, I wanted yeah, them to be laughing in joy. It, it's, it's a bummer. But also, this was a big moment where I was reminded of Bill Hodgman. Hodges. Hodges. <laughs> and how much more real Bill Hodges feels as an old man. Does that make sense? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Because this is very obviously Stephen King writing about old people as a young man. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. They, it's, they, they don't feel as, like, just realized right. as Bill does. Right. Yeah, I felt that too. Yeah, yeah. But I do love the the this moment of yeah, his not a first. Criticism. It's, it's not a, a criticism. It's yeah. just like I don't it, know. It's, seeing, it's different. You get a glimpse of King's progression as a yeah. writer. Yes, yeah. It's For so sure. it's so good. It's so great. Makes me really want to read uh, Finders. Hell yeah! Really bad. So Ralph has decided he's going to make one last ditch effort. He's going to try sleeping pills before he resorts to calling his doctor, and that's when we meet. My favorite character yeah. so far. My second favorite character uh, in the book. He used to be Joe Wise, but now he's older and wiser. Joe Wiser, Thank the pharmacist. You. I'm so glad you did that. <laughs> I fucking love it. I love it so much. <laughs> I love Joe. Ralph goes to a different pharmacy because he doesn't want to be seen at his because he's buying condoms. <laughs> and <laughs> condoms for sleep. Condoms for sleep. <laughs> yeah, that's what sleeping pills are. They're yeah. condoms for sleep. <laughs> They're condoms. In, no. No, I'm pushing back against this. Explain yourself. You're making a stand on this. <laughs> no, I refuse. Listen, I just lost what does a lot that mean? of rights. I refuse to explain oh. myself. No, oh, that's I'm going to pull that card forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's fair. I can't argue against that. I've never fought for anything in my life. <laughs> I am fighting for this hat. <laughs> All right, so, so Ralph is in the aisle. He's looking for stuff, and Joe startles him, and he, I imagine, like, turns and with his hip and butt knocks a bunch of things onto the ground. <laughs> it's a very meet Because it's cute. Golden Girls. It's, yeah. it's a, yeah. a meet cute. And they strike up a conversation and Joe is very, just very forthcoming. He's like, you don't want that stuff. It's not mm. going to help. I've, I I'm, I have an interest in insomnia because I used <laughs> to suffer for, it. That's so fucking real. Yeah. Sleep aids suck. Mm-hmm. Especially when the, your problem isn't the problem that Ralph has. Uh, yeah, we, the finding out that Joe has writ, wrote papers yeah, in college so cool. about it. He's I done love, so much he's research. Just, he's such a, um, oh my God, It's this is a weird pull. Hmm. The, the bad guy cook from the stand. The like, big, yeah, the big uh-huh. kindly cook that yeah. everyone loves. And he's just like a big friendly dude. Huh. He's the guy that at the end, he's like the first one to turn against Flash. Yeah. Uh, but he just reminded me of that, of like, I want to, he just seems so nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he seems great. They, they go out for a slice of pie and coffee together. Yeah. Which is uh, 
yeah, pharmacists just leave all the time. That's probably how that works. <laughs> and I, I wrote this line down because I love it so much. He He's talking to Ralph about explaining what he knows about insomnia. And he says, sleep is an overrated hero and the poor man's physician. <laughs> That's so great. What did you guys think about this lunch scene with the two of them? Ralph sees the auras here like big time he watches as joe is eating pie and there are all of these colors around the pie and his colors are changing as he's experiencing it and he's seeing it as he's seeing it as joe just mentioned hyper reality yeah so he's like oh i'm having hi- okay he, yeah he's kind of normalizing all these experiences right and almost we'll find out later not further normalizes them by making a very interesting referral that i feel like probably would have worked uh, the sticker. acupuncturist? Yeah. yeah. Well, he, and, and to someone else, too. And a, a hypno- hypnotist. Yeah. Yeah, he gives them those recommendations. He Because he basically tells him if he takes those sleeping pills, because Ralph's problem isn't falling asleep, it will destroy the good sleep he's getting. Yeah. This is, I, the note that I made was that Joe and Ralph's interaction reminds me of Rose Matter, the, in a, in a much different way, but the relief in finding someone who just wants to help. Oh, when Rosie goes into the Yeah, when she meets that first guy. Yeah, Yeah. I could could see that. Yeah. Uh, A lot of shade. God, there's so many shades Uh, of other things in this. Uh, So he leaves the pharmacy and he sees something so amazing he stops in his tracks. This is my favorite part of this section that Mm -hmm. we've read because I can picture it so clearly. It's one of those moments. It's a Stephen King moment that we love to talk about where I, I can see like a movie. If I were, if I were directing this movie, I can see this shot of him walking through the sliding doors and you can see through the doors and it's normal. And as the doors, he steps up and the shot is from behind him. And as the doors slide open, the colors spill in <laughs> from the outside. That may be just all in my head, it, but it's so yeah. the the way the colors surprise him it's, and it's everywhere. It's like the elevator scene in the Shining movie. Yeah, yes. <laughs> it finally the note that I made was I finally finally get the references you guys made in Revival. Did we talk about Which insomnia references? and revival? Yeah, you guys kept br- you guys brought it up. CM got very excited because <laughs> you guys both almost so said this. It was like it's three years ago, man. I've never forgotten. What is it? Uh, when they're at when uh, Jamie is with the like record producer and they go to see Jacobs. They go to his revival tent, and it's the first time he sees like the ant the faces. Aura. He yeah, sees the, the picture, the prismatic. Oh, yeah. he says, oh my, oh my god, gosh. I forgot We're about so that. Smart, we yeah. are. <laughs> he mentions seeing prismatic colors around people, or he thinks he yeah, does. Yeah, well, that's when he he develops that camera that like takes pictures of people's auras. That's, that yeah, that's thing? after hmm. the, the scene I'm talking about is way after that. Oh, it's, okay. it's when he's in the revival tent and he sees hmm. just color. Right. Insomnia is in a lot of stuff, and there's a lot of stuff. It's in insomnia. insomnia. It's, it's an interesting. It's. Comp- I feel like this is a type of King book. Yes. That are, <laughs> call, call them King remixes, where he takes so many of his ideas from other books and kind of just mashes them all together in a really cool like new Tommy way. Like Tommyknockers. <laughs> yeah, honestly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're remix books. Yeah. I like that. They're fucking great. <laughs> and Dreamcatcher is a remix of Tommyknockers. <laughs> okay, sorry. That's why we all love Rose Red so much. Oh, we love gosh. remixes. <laughs> the balloon strings. That's... Mm-hmm. He I, just sees them going from people. I, and I love that he's like, 
oh, they're indicators of health. And that's that like the leap he jumped changed to. changed me forever reading this really? as a teenager. Yep. Auras and yep. balloon strings. I, you know, when you're like, you're a kid and everything, I've said this before, everything's romantic and you can't, everything is possible, even the impossible. And I spent, I don't know how many months, I didn't have a lot of friends, <laughs> just anticipating like am i gonna see auras am i gonna see balloons like i don't it was so no. you you get super into stuff like that in at that age and it's so fun this idea of the aura and these these life indicators is definitely a a visual that has stuck with me and, and uh, how ralph intuits exactly what everything is shouldn't work should be forced or cheap Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah, it's great. It, it's such a wild like world building mm-hmm. that it, it's so out there that you're just like, yeah, sure. Yeah. If I'm, I'm seeing sh- auras, I, also, I believe that you know what they are. Like it all works. I also kind of believe it because of how fucking tired he is. <laughs> where he's just like, yeah, that's probably it. That, that's <laughs> the other so thing. Ready to commit. Is like at this point, you're like, it, this is just him seeing things. Like you don't know. Mm-hmm if it's a real thing that he's seeing or if he's just hallucinating. <laughs> uh, it's just really cool. Yeah. And I'm, this is what makes me excited to read the rest of yes, the book. Because same. all of the, all of the Ed stuff is infuriating to me. But the, the mystical side of things is really cool. Really, really cool. Mm-hmm. So Ralph and Bill head over to Lois's like they planned for the, the having lunch and watching the news and dishing about what happened. Oh, before we get to that, there's one little point I'd like to make yeah. about Ralph and Bill's friendship. Okay. Mm-hmm. Ralph and his wife and Bill shared a house. Mm-hmm. They've been friends. They're like described as like really close friends, right? Right. Yeah. The first, I don't even know if it's at this point. It might have been earlier. But the first time that Bill mentions that he's gay, Ralph immediately gets super uncomfortable and is like, uh, he never mentioned it outright before. I don't think they're as good of friends as Ooh. Ralph thinks he is. They're no, seventy year old men in the nineties. It is that but still how do you be age. best friends with someone and be like, I've never discussed this. That because with them. He's, not that privacy he's not out thing. of the closet. It's not safe to be yeah. out of the closet in the nineties. Even I, to your best friend. I don't friend. know that that's true though. It's, I don't know that that's true. For men, for men of that age who've lived he with it. Talks about being gay multiple times, and I don't feel like if he wasn't out that he would just be like casually talking about it as much as he does in the book i think it comes off to me that ralph is like whenever he mentions it i just uh don't think about it because it makes me so uncomfortable he doesn't make those comments in mixed company like he doesn't make those like the sure but if they were as close friends as he they seem to be I don't think this would be the first time. I think it, hold on, it. I can answer this okay. because I have gay friends who I Brag. thought they were <laughs> gay, but it, you know, I didn't know if I should be like, hey, it's okay. Like I wanted them to do what they needed to do when they needed to do it. Maybe that was right or wrong. I'm sorry mm. if it was shitty. They didn't come out to me for years and they came out to me when they came out to, when they decided like, I'm going to be out and I'm going to be myself. So in very close friends who like spend a lot of time with and love and care about it's the times. I strongly believe that. Okay. I may have said something really stupid because now I'm thinking about it and I came out this year. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a real good point, Ben. Uh, never mind. All right. Okay. Oh shit. I didn't know. See, you, you didn't know. Oh, 
Yeah, <laughs> he did it on I'm TikTok. Pan. Uh, what up? I don't. Oh, I'm never on TikTok. Uh, oh, okay. It yeah. was a great video. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I I thought it was a Shakespeare sorry. thing when people were mentioning Pan. Fucking <laughs> yeah. a puck. So <laughs> I'm puck. <laughs> Puckin' a. Puckin' a. As they're gathered at Lois's, they find out that this core group of the Friends of Life are from the more radical group, Daily Bread, uh, which one of the most notable no, domestic terrorists, Charles Pickering, who was the guy who tried mm-hmm. to firebomb the clinic. Who wants to take us through the Friends of Life and their, quote, spontaneous actions at Woman Care? Oh, if you're filling baby dolls with sacks of blood that a Explode so on spontaneous, impact. though. Not very spontaneous. That's premeditation. I also they were just planning a, a water balloon fight <laughs> later in the day. A really weird a, a water really balloon actually, fight. Actually, in the context of a water balloon fight, fucking rad. I'm just imagining it in a public park. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Not making a statement. Just being just metal as being fun. fucking weird. <laughs> um, sorry. Uh, I do. I was creeped out by the interview on the news that they watched with Ed, yeah. and Charlie, and this Again, modern yeah. day uh, alt-right shit. Yep. Making one crazy guy to make the other guy also saying crazy bullshit seem reasonable. Yep, that's our whole that. dynamic. Ed, Ed says abortion is the ultimate act of abuse against women in a sexist society. Insane. He also makes really strong statements that I still believe sound crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, he sounds like a lunatic, yeah. but because the guy next to him is like gibbering and shaking, <gasps> people are like, that, that other guy looks pretty cool. Is that why yeah. the the news anchor wants to bang him? Yep. Because between the two, he's the better choice? Yeah. Aw, yeah. I feel bad for her. Uh, she's lonely. You can do better. <laughs> In this moment, they also talk about the Susan Day is definitely coming to Derry, mm-hmm. and the news reporter says... Like, basically asks, can you guarantee her safety? And Ed says, I guarantee there'll be more protests. Yeah. Full stop. In a world where uh, babies are being killed, uh, I don't think you can guarantee anything. He should be on the Supreme Court Justice with that vague. (laughs) Fuck. I hate this dude. I hate this fictional guy so much. (laughs) Ralph, after all of this, fills them in on what he saw that day. Oh, at the airport. The the Mm -hmm. airport. And they encourage him to Again, get a hold of Lydecker. I would have told fucking Seriously. everyone the day it happened. I would have been like, "You will not his, believe the okay, shit the day I just it happened, saw." His wife almost died, and I would have went bad. home and been like, <laughs> "I would have." She would have gotten up in the hospital and be, "I'm so glad you're okay. But you won't believe this." Listen shit. to the day I yeah. had. <laughs> 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 oh my god. Okay, fair. Oh, <laughs> that night Ralph is home and he sees his phone turn blood red when it rings. That's so cool. That's fucking insane. Mm. He's yeah. like, yeah, it's Ed. And this it's just because of the aura shit, this would be such a cool like yeah. movie and yeah. adaptation. Mm. I want to see a really good filmmaker awesome. like vision of this. And this is where we understand too is someone's emotion changes. I, I think we might have gotten hints of it before, but their aura changes and Ralph has a moment where it's coming through the phone and there's like threads of black or something in it and it's coming towards him and he thinks that if he if it gets into them it will poison him, yeah. it will affect him. But and Ed Ed's trying to 
be his pal, though, guys. He's real fond of Ralph. I I love this moment. <laughs> it's a cool this speech exchange. Is rad. Ralph, yeah. he he calls and and Ed is there, and he's like, "Your your mouth's trying to get you in trouble, bud." Like, how does he know he's going to go to the police? So creepy. Yeah, it, it's very creepy, and it's very like menacing. It is obvious him uh, trying to intimidate Ralph. He says some wild shit about Ralph wanting to fuck his wife. Which is like, oh, that's crazy, except how much Ralph thinks yeah, about how much later. he wants to fuck his wife. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he's he's like doing this intimidation thing, and Ralph doesn't play into it. He's just like, hey, bud, uh, you're you're being crazy. Uh, what what is it that you? And it it kind of breaks Ed. It like he 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 says um, Ed seemed to be uh, to have called with a script in his head, mm-hmm. and now that I'm not. Reading his script, he doesn't know what the fuck to say, which is so true for people like that. Hmm. And is this where he, when he breaks, he's like, are you seeing are the you colors Are you seeing the yet? colors yet? Mm-hmm. Fucking yeah. A. And then he's like, you know, you, you said you were you had been fond of me. I like you too. And so I'm going to tell you once, like, you, you need to stop. You're getting involved in things you cannot understand. There are entities in dairy that you do not want to be caught messing with. That's a... Uh, that's a tough omen, Ralph. Any guesses, Josh? No idea. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we are now in the fall, and we are waking up at 2.15 in the morning. Ugh. Ben, that'd be like uh, 10 a.m. for you. Yeah. <laughs> Hours uh, that should not exist. <laughs> Helen writes that she got a job at the Dairy Public Library. Mike hired her. And Ralph sees Bill in the park crying. Oh, this is this scene was frustrating. A lot of the stuff with Bill is frustrating in, mm. in an effective way. You know, it's meant to be that way, but because he's decided he needs to tell somebody he's having more of these, uh, what he thinks are sensory problems and is to, makes up his mind. He's like, okay, I can't tell Lois. She'll just gossip to her friends. Who else? Oh, I can tell Bill. He's level headed. He's an academic. He'll get it. And so he's about to tell him. He's but, so close. Yeah. But Bill's, like, oh, I'm I'm crying because I just received the best news and it's tragic. And it's that my longtime friend, the guy who hired me, even though he knew I was gay, which was a big moment at the time and for His him. His friend who has the shining. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. That, that was where I said we get a shining because <laughs> he says that that Bob like always knew what people he knew what people were thinking. Yeah. He knew how huh. to say That's the right cool. thing like to people. That. Uh, that's why he dedicated himself to a small town teaching and, yeah. and stuff like that. Well, Bob is dying and it's. A good thing because he's had Alzheimer's for some time now and he's just not the same person anymore. So so Bill's saddened, but he's looking at it as a positive. And I haven't dealt with Alzheimer's, so I cannot make a judgment on that. But Ralph, it's interesting because the whole time Ralph is like distracted and he's still seeing auras. And then he's he's listening to him, but then he'll just like no segue try to bring up the thing he's there for and bill just bowls over him you know he's he's not listening well, to ralph at all which it, makes, it is once it's again bad timing ralph uh, yeah. it is once again uh i don't know that these guys are as good of friends as, <laughs> as they are portrayed because they are both so self-centered in this scene <laughs> they are yeah. um and bill particularly because i also think this is the scene that as they are leaving 
Bill uh, tells a, a homeless person to fuck off. Yes. And I'm like, oh, that wow, is, what a piece of shit. I, I don't like this he, guy either. He is cynical through and through. Yeah, and then immediately Ralph has a thought about how generous he is. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> he sees the friend he wants to see. Then. Yeah, I guess. Uh, but meanwhile, serve each other. what Ralph is seeing is uh, a little boy named Patrick, who he can suddenly read his entire history knows mm-hmm. that his dad's drinking again and just this is getting stronger mm-hmm. this is getting more powerful he doesn't understand why he can know these things he just does patrick where do we know a patrick, patrick. i know this uh, probably one probably don't we'll get there yeah uh there's some more violence with women care another protest gets violent and we find out that ed has been fired because he's been arrested for the third time in a few months anybody else catch the name of where he works Hawkins Laboratory? Hawkins Labs? Uh, Yeah. Stranger Things? Yeah, I thought that too. (laughs) Ralph's doorbell rings, and once again, he knows it's Ed. But then he is really glad he's wrong. He goes downstairs and he sees that there are two figures out there. Then Ding Dong. Yes. His Ding Dong. (laughs) And then he... Uh, on the other side of the door are Helen and Natalie, and we are introduced to Gretchen Tilbury, the six foot tall blonde woman who has a magnetic appearance and, and demeanor about her. They come upstairs for coffee. What did you guys think of the uh, the coffee date? It was a sweet moment because of what we've seen Helen go through and the baby, and you can tell that they're okay and she is taking charge of her life and you feel like she is going to be okay and things are going to be good. What's fascinating though, other than Gretchen calling Ralph daddy-o, which I fucking <laughs> loved, coming out of her, I loved it. Did you feel that there was a vibe there though? I thought was there was vibe. some sexual yeah. chemistry. It's weird. But, but Gretchen is a lesbian, so th- I, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I yeah, I liked that. But we find out that... Natalie, the baby, can see auras too. That was great. She's like reaching for yeah. them and she's playing. So Ralph finally, like, I, I feel so good for Ralph because we haven't really talked about it this way, but this has been a trial for him. This is very yeah. upsetting because he's like, what is wrong with me? You, this isn't stuff I should be able to see. And so when he he's like, she's a baby, but Someone else sees it, too, and is interacting with it. And then he thinks about how babies are always, Josh, you can answer this, because I don't know, like grabbing at things that aren't there and stuff like that. all the time. Yeah. Babies got stanky wizard eyes. That's true. That is true. Stanky wizard eyes. (laughs) He approaches the conversation of if Helen will move back in the house. And I love that by how their auras both change. Mm-hmm. He knows how each of them feel about the idea of what she wants to do. Oh, he's Mel Gibson and what women want. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's going to sell the house and mm-hmm. she wants to stay in Derry, but that home is not home anymore. Uh, we have some more, the image of the balloon strings reaching the ceiling and coiling around. Yeah. I thought was so fucking oh, cool. Sorry. We didn't say that Ralph has the strong feeling that he should never touch that balloon string because if he mm. does, could be something bad for that person and him. Yeah, I cannot wait to find out what the fuck that is because <laughs> that sounds amazing. We find out that Helen and Gretchen are on the welcoming committee for Susan Day. They are basically uh, additional security for while she is in town mm-hmm. because they've gotten like 30 some threats. Half of them they think are credible. Two of them are about blowing up our studio. I know. That's so fucking rude. (laughs) I didn't even make that connection. (laughs) And 
this is, uh, and Ralph mentions the Adrian Mellon incident. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Mm-hmm. The reference, not the incident. Oh, right. <laughs> and they hand Ralph a can of basically watered down tear gas and tell him that he's been officially designated a centurion. And I went, which oh, yeah, freaks him out. Yeah. That's like, how do you know Ed that used. word? Yeah. And we find out that they, not just the, this group, but the police, maybe even the FBI, they have people embedded in this group and they got a list of centurions that Ed passed around people to be watching out for. And all of them are on the list. Uh, Ralph and the mayor are the only two men on the list, Mm. but she's like, congratulations, you made the cut. (laughs) And because Gretchen says it, I'm like, yeah, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Like she sounds like she's ready to kick some ass. Be on a list. Too bad. I am. She is one of the characters that has a target on her back. Yeah. Like, there are so many characters in this book that I'm like, I don't think they're living to the end of this. <laughs> and once they leave, Ralph places the can on top of the kitchen cabinet and starts to think about what comes next. And that is it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us next time where we will be covering part two through chapter 14. For Joshua Kahn and Benjamin Graham, I'm CM Alexander reminding you, in Dairy there had always seemed to be an extra dimension to the ugliness. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to Insomnia Part 1. We hope you enjoyed it. I have some bits for you that didn't make the final cut of the episode, but first, I want to share with you that we have a brand new supporter of the show, SKL Stephen King Lovers. Visit our friends at Stephen King Lovers SKL, the largest Stephen King fan group on Facebook. They are the friendliest, most informative, interactive, and fun Stephen King fan group around. Join them on Facebook for in-depth conversations, giveaways, and general nerding out with fellow King fans. And as always, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Dairy Public Radio and Twitter at Dairy Public, or send us an email at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. And don't forget to catch our coverage of the Shining mini series on our Patreon page. Search Dairy Public Radio at patreon.com, where you can get those episodes and more at the $5 and up tier. But what you should really do with your Patreon funds this month is support your favorite women's rights organization. There are so many out there doing awesome work. Ben, you're still at work. <laughs> oh, that's true. I was going to say, I don't really have... Okay, can we talk you about this? an equivalent. Can it's we just talk about all of our relationships with sleep? Because mine is not great. I do have to say. Yeah. Because yeah. Uh, listeners that don't know, I work third shift and am just nocturnal regardless. So, yeah, I can't really say anything about going to... Waking up at three o'clock is insane because I, I don't go to bed until hours after <laughs> three o'clock. So it's kind of different. When we were uh, filming my web series against the odds, cheap plug, mm-hmm. uh, we were filming in a bar and we started filming at three in the morning. And that. so yeah. for there was a series of time where I was setting my alarm for 2 a.m. every day to load up all the gear and take it to the bar. <laughs> but uh, I, I sleep like a rock. I sleep. <laughs> I fall asleep fast and I sleep all night. I am so, so deeply so jealous. <laughs> it's my turn. I have sleep anxiety, so once I'm asleep, the world could be ending, and I just sleep peacefully through it, but I have such a hard time from as long as I can remember falling asleep, I'll lay there for hours, my mind's going and going Mm -hmm. and going, and I can't stop it, 
but I, I like meditate and I do all this crap first to try to force my body to relax. And so as a kid reading this before I learned all those techniques and I would just be awake for hours every night, no matter what. This was scary because there's yep. that there, and especially yep. to a teenager, there's that little element of, oh, my God, is this going to happen? Like the first night you can't fall asleep like for 30 more minutes past when you usually finally fall asleep. <laughs> You're like, shit. <laughs> yep. No, I, I completely agree. And as someone who has had a bad enough time sleeping that I have experienced hallucinations. Oh, oh my God. Uh, it sucks. <laughs> Can I call you out on your sleep, CM? About something I learned about you whilst we were sharing a room. <laughs> oh, can I f- preface this by saying that I was willing to risk Canadian jail and never coming home because I nearly killed Josh. Yeah. Proceed. Oh, and, I yeah. Lo- and I love you. I, uh, <laughs> I I should say I sleep soundly throughout the night. I also snore like a wounded dying animal. That doesn't I snore even really so accurately. Loud. My snore oh, if we is that a travel fe- together. I'm getting my own room. I, I was going to say, I have to be uh, sequestered into a different wing. <laughs> uh, I snore at a frequency that cuts through Devin's uh, earplugs. <laughs> uh, I found out that CM falls asleep while listening to audio versions of How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> I totally get it's it. It's one of my techniques. It, I it's totally something my get brain, it. I've watched so many times that I don't need to focus on it. I'm not waiting for a moment. I can relax, but still have that noise. I, I, no, I, <laughs> I, I think it's so funny. I it's fall so asleep great. to a rotating selection of Futurama, King of the Hill, and Bob's Burgers. So I totally get <laughs> it. Thank you. Nice. I just put on a white noise machine and I'm asleep in three minutes. Mm. Sorry, guys. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.